reading of the scriptures from Acts chapter 21, reading verses 17 to 26. I invite your reverent attention and hearing of God's word here from Acts chapter 21. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus, all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went to the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and offering uh, presented for each one of them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We uh, live in an age uh, which is uh, profoundly infatuated with the concept of rights. Everyone always saying, I have some right, whatever the case might be, whatever that right is. Uh, and certainly as Christians, we have rights. Uh, when the scriptures are silent, uh, we can engage in liberty in all types of behavior, as long as the scriptures are silent, and uh, those rights are uh, sacred. Uh, but there is, uh, in the church, of course, uh, a duty to love, uh, which uh, sometimes means voluntarily setting your rights aside, because Love must uh, prevail, even over our rights. And that is illustrated in our text this morning. Uh, it's a reminder that uh, love, uh, true love, is uh, uh, sacrificial. In that sense, it engages sacrifice, and oftentimes it engages setting our rights aside in service to others. Uh, and here in this text, we see the power of the gospel and love illustrated in the work of uh, God among the Gentiles. Uh, but more particularly, we're going to watch the Apostle Paul uh, sacrifice his liberty uh, for the good of the Jewish church. In that sense, it's an illustration, as I've mentioned, the power of the gospel, prevailing sense of uh, love. Uh, and our reminder is that when love advances in the life of the church and sacrificial love, uh, it will always be successful because love never fails. 
As in the past, uh, Paul goes uh, to the church at Jerusalem to deliver reports on the third missionary journey. End of the third missionary journey. And he's, uh, he's received as uh, an apostle to the Gentiles. There are some Gentile companions uh, with him. And uh, the text says that they are well received. They are received gladly. Uh, testimony to the love of God in the gospel. Uh, remember again, Paul is going to a Gentile church with all of its cultural and religious differences. And they were very, very pronounced as we're soon going to learn. Again, verse 17, the text reads, The brethren received us gladly. There is no suspicion. There's no sense of superiority or inferiority or condescension, just equality based upon what God's done. It's an essential lesson in the life of the church, what God has done. Because we're all radically different, but that is not the point. The point is to be very careful not to exalt our differences based on what God has done. And the unity of the church, driven by the love of the church, is based purely and simply on that, what God has done. Two totally different cultures and traditions based on the love of God. Let's, uh, let's read uh, the 19th verse, uh, chapter 21. After he had greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And as you know, in tracing Paul's uh, missionary journeys, it was a radical departure. And the Jewish church, uh, by and large, was uh, greatly uh, suspicious over that uh, because the dramatic revelation, God changing, reaching Gentiles. Prophesied in the Old Testament, they should have well accepted it, but they, they struggled with it uh, just because they were steeped in their own traditions. But again, Paul makes it clear what God has done. And uh, God did it absent the Old Testament legal system, with one exception. What's that exception? Very important exception. Uh, they come to faith, united to the family of God, the unity of the church. Uh, the one exception that carries over from the Old Testament is uh, you can't engage in idolatry. Uh, as you know, in the Old Testament, when a Gentile came uh, to faith, he had to go through the portals of Israel. Uh, he had to engage in legal practices specified in the Old Testament. With Christ, that's over with, that's gone. The single, unitary, soul portal is now Christ himself. And so the Gentile church is to be accepted because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Jewish tradition, custom, the law, does not apply to them, with the exception of idolatry. Again, we read that, we understand it, but uh, it was a struggle, a great struggle. I'm not so sure we don't struggle with uh, that in the American church today uh, in regard to ethnicity. 
I don't understand that in light of the scriptures. We're one in Christ. He makes us one. There's no distinction whatsoever. But again, we've been fighting that battle for hundreds of years. It doesn't ever seem to end, even though it's ended in the New Testament. Christ purchased men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And his purchasing power is what should unify us because it makes us one. Irrespective of traditions and customs and ethnicity and background, the fact that he purchased us is a unifying principle. Let's remind ourselves of this. Let's turn to uh, Acts chapter 11. Context as Peter uh, goes into the home of a Gentile by the name of Cornelius. Uh, Cornelius was a tanner. That had to have been very difficult for Peter, but God told him to go there. Tanners dealt with dead bodies. What rendered a Jew unclean? Dead bodies. And God says, go to the household of Cornelius. You think that was difficult for Peter? I think so. Peter was a very, very religious, uh, law-keeping Jew. Uh, but uh, God tells him to go, so he goes. Spirit comes upon the household of Cornelius. Peter's a maid, so is everyone else. Let's read uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 17 18. This is Peter's uh, understanding of what God has just done in saving Gentiles. If God therefore gave to them the same gift as he gave to us, also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I should stand in God's way? When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. So the Jewish Christians that were observing come to understand it's the work of God that unifies the church where God is done. You know, by the way, this is a marvelous text of the sovereign grace of God. How do we come to repentance that leads to life? God gives to us. He gives us the gift of faith. Otherwise, we would have never repented and we would have never come to life. So that beyond our faith in Christ, it's the majesty of the grace of God that ought to unify us. The sovereign grace of God because, you know what? He doesn't give it to everybody. It should be a profoundly humbling force in the life of the church. In and of itself, uh, breeds uh, unity and love. Acts chapter 13. Uh, Paul is proclaimed in Acts chapter 13 as uh, a light to the Gentiles. It uh, comes from uh, the servant song. It means that the mantle of uh, the servant's mission to gather Gentiles falls upon the Apostle Paul. Let's look at the response, Acts 13, verses 48 and 49. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as been appointed to eternal life, believe. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. Uh, Gentiles believe. 
think of, again, the sovereign grace of God as a unifying principle in the life of the church in terms of the love, the unity that ought to exist in the church. What caused them to believe in Jesus Christ? Luke tells us they had been appointed to eternal life of sovereign grace of God. Again, think of humility. Uh, you're a Christian, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have eternal life. It's the grace of God that enables you to believe. In fact, it was the eternal grace of God because he appointed you to believe from eternity past. Had he not appointed you, you would have never believed. Uh, so that what unifies us, irrespective of traditions and cultures and differences, and the way you do things and the way I do things and all of the things that make us radically different, what brings us together is what God has done, his sovereign grace from eternity past. Profoundly humbling should be the unifying principle in the life of the church. Let's look at uh, chapter 14, verse 27. Paul again is reporting on the progress of his witness among uh, the Gentiles, Acts 14, 27. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. How did uh, the Gentiles uh, walk through the door of faith? Because God opened it. Had he not opened it, they would have never walked through. One of my favorite texts, Lydia. She believed. I understand that theology, but how did she believe? Because God opened her heart. Think of your particular life. Uh, you're a Christian. You believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful thing. The greater reality is you believe because he opened your heart. Had he not opened your heart, you would never believe. Uh, that is a unifying principle of humility in the life of the church, the sovereign grace of God, because what he did for you, he doesn't do for everybody. And so that he did it for you should wed you to him in love and affection and praise and undying love and affection as our hymnist has told us. Because he did it. And that's what should unify the church. Uh, the church in uh, Acts 21, uh, the Jewish uh, church, uh, validates uh, the Jerusalem Council, Acts chapter 15. Uh, but again, it's simply the majesty of the work of Christ. That he purchased men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And uh, Acts is the history of that. He purchased it. Belongs to him. I remind myself all the time when I have disagreements in the life of the church. What do I remind myself of? It's not my church. It's his. To do with as he will, not as I will. So unity is a function of what God has done. That's why here two radically different traditions and customs come together based upon what God has done. Also, expression of the love of God in uh, uh, the gospel and bringing these two churches together and the power of the love is, uh, as we know from the Gentile companions that are with Paul, because they're bringing a collection 
from Gentile churches to deliver to the needy church of Jerusalem. The love that transcends cultures and traditions and time, personality differences, and everything in between uh, to advance uh, the gospel. Setting secondary issues aside to advance the gospel. Sometimes we err in that and we make the secondary primary. We forget it's really what God has done. Uh, that should unify us, the power of the love, uh, which is uh, sacrificial. Uh, it was costly for the Gentiles to take up a collection. Uh, could have said, hey, that's, that church is in Jerusalem. Let them make it on their own. By golly, I made it on my own. Not the way the love of the church works. Love that transcends uh, based upon the sacrificial work and uh, Sacrificial love advances the faith, and that's what the church should be about, whether it be Jew or Gentile. And uh, that sacrificial love that should exist in the life of the church uh, never fails to advance the gospel. Well, this apostle to the Gentiles, to Paul specifically, is going to engage himself in an act of incredible sacrificial love of the Jewish uh, church. He's going to submit himself in a symbolic act of personal sacrifice to advance the gospel out of love for Jewish Christians. Verses 20-26. Again, he's the apostle to the Gentiles. What he's been doing, that's what we've read. Very quick survey. Uh, but the uh, elders of the church say, Paul, there's a rumor going about, verse 21, uh, about that you're committing apostasy against Moses, have no respect for the law. And it's uh, hampering the advance of the gospel among Jews. So we'd like you to do something for us, Paul, and that is uh, submit. Uh, to a Nazarite fact. Think about it. Think of what Paul could have said. Hey, brothers, that's your problem. I'm the apostle from Gentile. Go down the hall to door 32F and talk to the apostle, to the Jews, and get them to do something. I'm specifically designed as the apostle for the Gentiles. But he doesn't do that. Engages is an act of incredible sacrificial love because Paul knows the engine of advancing the unity and love of the gospel is sacrificial love, and that love will never fade. And so Paul engages in a very costly act of love to advance the gospel among Jewish Christians. engage in a Nazarite vow and pay the expenses of four other Jewish Christians and pay their vows for them, verse 24. As you know, uh, this is an allusion to Acts uh, 18, Paul undertook a Nazarite vow. Uh, I think because of the solemnity of what he uh, knows he's about to do, and that's go to Jerusalem 
and ultimately it will cost him his life. And uh, typically when you know you're going to lose your life, you become very focused and uh, Paul becomes very focused. Uh, but he's also mindful that he has a duty to be uh, a loving witness to Jewish Christians. Uh, the Nazarite vow is, again, Numbers chapter 6. But the key, key, not only is scripture, key is the cost. Paul is going to engage in personal sacrifice, uh, engage in a costly sacrifice for himself. He's already engaged in Acts chapter 18. He's do it again because the uh, elders of the church, Jerusalem, asked him to do it. And then something else. Pay the balance of four others. Think about it. What could he be have said? Look, I'll pay mine. You get them to pay their own. It's the way it works around here. <laughs> no, doesn't do this. He engages in sacrificial love. Could have set his liberty aside. He could have said, Look, elders, I got my rights. Nowhere does the Bible tell me I have to do this. He knows a greater, higher principle than that of liberty and that of love. Which is going to submit himself out of the greater law of love to sacrificially advance the gospel among the nation of Israel. The, uh, the issue is, can he, can he do that? Can he voluntarily participate in an Old Testament custom as long as it doesn't compromise the gospel? Uh, I think the answer is emphatically yes, because that's why this is in Scripture to teach us the enduring principle that sometimes there are times you have to set aside your liberty for the good of the church, for the greater good and glory of the gospel, to advance the faith and the unity of the church. And that's what love is. Love is sacrificial, always sacrificial. If it's not ultimately sacrificial, it's not true love. Some vague feeling. couple of principles here. We need to realize uh, that this is operative uh, everywhere in the book of Acts. Think about uh, Timothy. Recall in Acts chapter 16 uh, Paul is going to go about preaching the gospel. He knows he's going to come across Jews. Uh, He doesn't want Timothy to be a stumbling block to him. So what does he do? He says, Timothy, uh, I understand you're a grown man, but I want you to be circumcised. He is, so it's not to be a stumbling block in the advance of the gospel. Number two. You think it was costly? It was for Timothy. What's the point? Timothy could have said, look, Paul, this is not my problem. I have my rights. And my right is, and you've clearly taught me this, Paul, in the book of Galatians, that I don't have to be circumcised. I claim my rights. Timothy doesn't do that. Does he? he sets aside his liberty because of the power of love. It's a sacrificial act. Because sacrificial love always advances the faith, and the faith is greater 
than the rights of the individual. And that sacrificial love, ladies and gentlemen, never fails. Never fails. The essence of life and liberty and unity in the life of the church. Think about it. Timothy, a grown man, pays a call. Conversely, as you know, uh, when uh, the Judaizers pressed uh, Paul to have Titus circumcised, he refuses because it would compromise the gospel. And that's the higher calling. Uh, you cannot compromise the gospel. Uh, and the principle of love will never ask you to compromise the gospel. Never. Never. Because the gospel is preeminent. Everything should be subservient to it. The gospel should be supreme. And uh, that's why Paul is here. And so true love protects the gospel. So many people in the American church have forgotten this. Well, we can compromise the gospel out of love. Well, that's not love. That's error and heresy. We can never compromise the gospel. Love will always protect the gospel. Of course, you and I know that in part circumcision was irrelevant to Paul in light of the coming of Christ and the new creation. Coming of Christ makes law of circumcision irrelevant. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verses 18 to 20. Was any man called already circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters to keeping of the commandments of God? Let each man remain in the condition which he's called. No longer an issue of circumcision. Uh, by the way, uh, Paul could have uh, told the Jewish elders, the church of Jerusalem, hey, read 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, I don't have to engage in this. We set this right aside. It's a greater point of love. Sacrificial love is what unifies the church, advances the gospel. And that sacrificial love never fails to advance the gospel. And the gospel becomes preeminent. Galatians chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. It's a very important text. It highlights the new creation, coming of Christ, the eternal word, who creates a new people of God. For neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. very interesting that Paul places an Old Testament label now upon the Gentile church. He calls them the Israel of God. My, my, my dispensational friends can mercy. Say, no, he's, he's uh, talking about peace and mercy upon the Gentile Christians and then peace and mercy upon the Jewish Christians. The problem with that is uh, Paul is engaging in an ethnic label here in Galatians chapter 6 verse 16, he's destroyed the entire argument to the book of Galatians. 
because he's proclaimed over and over and over again that there's no longer ethnicity at all. It's all faith in Christ. And that's what makes us the sons of Abraham. But we are the Israel of God, the new creation. But again, knowing all of this, Paul says, this is what you want me to do? I'll set aside my liberty to advance the faith, to gain a Jew to the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. It was costly to him. But that's the nature of love. Setting aside your rights to advance the gospel out of, out of love for the same. Second, of course, it's important to realize that this is entirely voluntary. Constraining one's liberty in sacrificial love to advance the faith. Timothy sets his rights aside. Paul sets his rights aside. Everywhere in the scripture, we're taught about true love. It's sacrificial. Where men and women set their rights aside to advance the faith. And that's the very definition of love. Sacrifice. It's costly. Costly. And Paul does so to advance the gospel, which is greater than individual rights. Most beautiful expression of this uh, principle is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I encourage you to turn there because it details for us the nature of sacrificial love. Uh, the context is uh, Paul's ministry among uh, the Corinthian uh, church. And uh, Paul had a right to be compensated for his ministry among the Corinthians. He sets it aside. If you will, he works in the morning, preaches in the afternoon. He receives nothing from them. He sets his rights aside so as not to compromise his love for that church. Let's uh, read the text. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. Although I am free from all men, I've made myself a slave to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, it's without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. He sets his rights aside sacrificially out of love to win the weak. And that's what sacrificial love is. You set your rights aside. You forego them for the greater calling of the gospel to advance the faith. Think about that. For the weak I became weak. Uh, in our culture, we hear an incredible amount of 
about their rights and freedoms. Here's a man that sacrifices everything to advance the gospel. And the lesson is that the church has a higher law of love uh, in which uh, rights and freedoms are constrained out of the greater duty of love and the higher calling. Powerful expression. Sacrificial love is the driving engine in the life of the church to unify it and to advance the faith. And to remind each of us as Christians, be very careful about claiming your rights. Be very careful about saying that weaker brother out there, if he only understood the faith like I understand it, if he only had my level of maturity, uh, my, he would be fortunate. But he's not, so but that's his problem. Let him get over it. Paul never has that attitude. Because the weak, he becomes weak, and he might save the weak. Now, it's good to remind ourselves that uh, Paul is engaging in this Nazarite vow uh, in a sacrificial sense, but never, never does he compromise the gospel. Uh, he doesn't engage in animal sacrifices and the cultists, because that would have compromised the gospel. And a lot of believe Paul was the apostle that wrote uh, the book of the Hebrews. Uh, I obey uh, some Christians too. Uh, he knew that there was one sacrifice offered one time for all time that put an end to the entire cultic system of the nation of Israel. But in Paul's day, the cultus was still standing. And that's why he engages in a nominal sacrificial event to advance the gospel among Jewish Christians. Of course, you and I know that in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed so a Jew is no longer able to keep the entirety of the ceremonial law. You and I know Christians that uh, seem to think it's something special and mystical uh, to engage in Jewish customs in the life of the church. Every now and then we read about some church that's having a Passover meal to express the uh, love of Christ in the gospel, or whatever. There's always some different gradient of that. Not really wrong per se, but think about it in terms of the majesty of the sacrifice of Christ and the new creation, and that we are the Israel of God. That all of the scriptures is Christocentric, He's the unifying force, not some ancient custom, ancient tradition. He, Christ, so brings us together. And while we are also radically different personality and backgrounds and beliefs and customs, all around, Christ makes us one, the new creation. We know from Ephesians 2, he tore down the dividing wall of the law. He makes Gentile and Jew one in the new creation. And that's why in Galatians 6, he can call the Gentile church the Israel of God. Because he's the sovereign creator. So coming full circle, uh, Christian in uh, 
Christian Hugh and Paul's day could voluntarily participate in some aspects of the ceremonial law. I don't know why one would do that today, but I, I get it. Some people do. Uh, I might say, come out of the shadows. Come to the fullness of the realization of Christ and his majesty. Everything is that all the traditions, all the customs, all the dates, and all the calendars were fulfilled in him. One timeless, eternal person who teaches us the life. Another uh, illustration of the power uh, of uh, Paul's uh, costliness and becoming weak to save the weak is... Uh, in Galatians chapter 3. Turn with me if you would to Galatians chapter 3. Verses 23 to 26. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. In Roman culture, a son was placed under a tutor uh, to bring him to maturity. The law is a tutor to teach us, to point us to Christ. But between the ages of 16 to 18, he was clothed with, in Roman language, the toga virilis, and became an adult with all the freedoms and privileges and inheritance of a son. With full rights, full rights. Well, think about it. Think about Paul with all of the rights and privileges of a son of God. And he voluntarily puts himself under the law. What a condescension. What a condescension. Costly with all of his knowledge. He becomes weak to save the weak. So Paul accommodates himself to sacrifice out of pure love to save Jewish Christians. And that sacrificial love ought to be a driving engine in the unity of the life of the church. It's always costly. But it's a reminder from 1 Corinthians that love never fails. To advance the faith. And that love is expressed in voluntary sacrifice. It's incredibly powerful. And though Paul had all of these rights, he could have said, look, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles, go down the hall. Look, I know that all of this theology of the new creation, get someone else. He voluntarily suspends his rights and submits himself in a costly sacrifice. That's how we serve the faith. I understand we all have rights. I also understand we have a duty to life. Of course, the greatest uh, illustration of this principle is, if you know, our Lord. He was under obligation to say no. God the Father, eternity past, 
comes to son and says, son, I want you to go and buy my people. He could have said, look, I'm God too. I don't have to go. And he would have been well within his rights as the eternal son of God. He sets his rights aside. He leaves heaven to come to the earth. Incredible condescension. Out of love to save. To submit himself to the will of the Father. To purchase his people. He could have stayed in heaven. He comes to save. And saving was the greater purpose driven by costly sacrificial love. Thank God he did. Because he purchased his church. At the cross. Although co-equal, he submitted himself to the will of the Father to advance the faith. The sacrifice of that's incredible. Do you understand in the humanity of Christ? That's an eternal sacrifice. The humanity of Christ is no longer omnipresent. This spirit is. I'm not changing Christ. But the humanity of Christ is not omnipresent. Think of the costliness of that sacrifice to purchase the church. <clears throat> Driven by love, setting aside his rights. And he paid what we could not pay out of love. Though he was all-powerful, he became weak to save the dead, to bring them to life. Out of love, out of obedience to the will of the Father, submits himself. Incredible sacrifice. And he comes today to feed us because he knows we are weak, we are hungry and thirsty. He, he calls upon us to remember his sacrificial life. Uh, it drove him to the cross to become weak uh, that we might be strong in him. As it's been our custom in recent times, we were to take a, the sacrament of the table by coming to the front. Uh, eating uh, the body of Christ by faith, by faith. Materially, it's a piece of unleavened bread. But by faith, apprehending the benefits of the costliness of the sacrifice of our great Savior. And then when it's appropriate, we drink the cup, the shedding of his blood. By faith, uh, we're drinking his blood. No materially, it's wine and grapes. But we're apprehending by faith the benefits of the cross. Remind you of that because nothing happens apart by faith. And uh, we're apprehending those benefits by faith. Now, the text this morning I'd like to read to you is a very common text. John chapter 6, verse 53. Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. He eats my flesh and drinks my blood as eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Think of the costliness of Christ giving his flesh and giving his blood that we might have eternal life. The love of Christ for you, love of Christ for you, an abiding principle. Teach us that love is a unifying life of church. Grace Bible Church, uh, this is an open communion. If you're a Christian, uh, you're welcome to come. If you're a guest here for the first time, you're welcome to come. His table, not table, Grace Bible Church. But I do remind you that uh, you uh, you should come. Uh, in repentance and faith. Uh, you cannot come if you're living in some uh, known sin for which you are unrepentant. I just encourage you to remain seated. Because that would bring judgment upon yourself if you were to do that. And uh, God would uh, bring punishment for, for discipline, for disrespecting uh, the body and the blood of the Savior. Uh, you, you come spirit of uh, faith and repentance. You come confessionally. Christ is your Savior. But we uh, we come because we're needy. We're hungry and thirsty. He's uh, life, eternal. And he gives us strength uh, and joy of faith. Uh, and so in a moment I'm going to Stop and uh, pray and uh, into my prayer uh, as you have in the recent months. You will come to the front. Uh, if you're on the south side, to the south, the north side, to the north. If you're on the balcony, you can come to the uh, communion table in front of the church. But more importantly, come remembering the incredible sacrifice for the Redeemer for you and for this. His church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the bread of heaven, for our forgiveness, for the grace that keeps us safe. We thank you, Lord, for the cup, shedding of the blood of our Redeemer. He drank its, uh, its bitter dregs. Uh, that the wrath of God would pass over us because we are now thy sons. And we drink not the cup of judgment, which he drank for us, but the cup of the new covenant. Lord, make us full, quench our thirst, that we might go away. Understanding, perhaps in a deeper and fuller measure, what it means that our Savior loved us from eternity past. He loves us now. And he will love us to the end. And may we in turn love him. As we remember him and fellowship with him. And rejoice in him. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen.
Our Father, again, we thank Thee for eternal love, who came not just to teach us about love, but to live it, to go to the cross, to suffer eternal indignity, incredible passion, setting aside his rights to win his church. In the majesty in one great eternal event, he purchased to redeem for all time by the incredible sacrifice of himself. May we, in our church, corporately and individually, learn about this love, but may we also, by the great power of thy great spirit, live it in practice but to advance the faith and to advance the gospel, even when it comes at the expense of ourselves uh, after the great redemptive work of our only Redeemer, even Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.